0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the endo Chats podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things endometriosis. I am your host, Corin High, and today's episode is with the wonderful Jade Walker. Jade is a fellow endo warrior herself and also an accredited naturopath. She has a Bachelor of Health Sciences in naturopathy and has been practising for four years, specialising in helping people with endometriosis for two years. I actually stumbled across Jade's page and ebook a few months ago now and just loved how she was sharing information and advocating for the community. In this episode, we delve a little bit deeper into her own journey with Endo and find out her top tips to managing this condition naturally. So without further ado, let's get on with the podcast. Hello Jade, welcome to the Endo Chats podcast. It's so good to have you on. How are you today? I'm really
1: well, Corinne. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to have a chat with you today.
0: I know. Um, we've just got the news about the end of the lockdown is nigh here in Melbourne, so <laughs> we're all in very good news. Fingers mood. crossed. Um, how are you feeling today in terms of your, and are you having a good day, a bad day, a medium day, a tired day because you've got twins?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, today is, an a, is a brilliant day actually. Um, my husband and I, well, because we're in Geelong, Apart from today finding out we're going back into lockdown, we have had a little window where we weren't in lockdown. So we went for a walk to a cafe this morning and um, got ourselves a juice. He got a coffee, walked back, fed the girls. So that was really nice. So I'm actually glad we did that before finding out the yeah. Dan Andrews news this morning. <laughs> um, nice. But endo wise, I've been. Living in bliss since you know pregnancy, obviously, pregnancy had its own things too. Uh, but just um, because I'm breastfeeding, haven't got my period back yet. So, honestly, the thought of getting my period back when I first thought of it scared the shit out of me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, it's been so nice not having to deal with period pain for a while. So, we'll see what happens. When does it generally tend to come on? Everyone's completely different. So, I know another twin mum who had has really bad endo and her period came back just recently. We had our twins at the same similar time. So hers, yeah, uh, four months after pregnancy, which is quite soon. Whereas I know some people who don't get that period back for another year or simply just once they stop breastfeeding, because the idea is that it should inhibit fertility because when you're breastfeeding, your body doesn't want to go through another pregnancy. I didn't even (laughs) Uh, think about it like that, actually. Yeah, so it's your body's natural contraception in a way, yeah. Uh, With that said, please don't take this as a free ride because (laughs) there are many incidences that I hear about when people think that it's all dandy and then they fall pregnant three months after uh, giving birth, which I think would just be awful. (laughs) Yeah, I have a
0: friend back home, um, her mum fell pregnant three and a half months after giving Uh, birth to her with her brother so uh, yeah (laughs) it is possible but I think we're going to start off today just talking a little bit about your endo journey so kind of when you started your period when did you know that you or when did you suspect that you might have had endo or that something was a little bit off and what that journey kind of looked like for you
1: yeah so I got my period when I was 11 years old which is considered quite young. With that said, the prevalence of young men menarche is increasing, unfortunately. So basically not long after that, I started getting very bad period pain or what we call dysmenorrhea. And it wasn't just, oh, have a heat pack and you're good to go. This was debilitating, excruciating, screaming on the floor every month, days off school, you know, you know the drill. And initially it was, go to the doctor, be given Ponstan, which is a very common non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug for period pain that a lot of women get given. Is it right that they also use it for arthritis? Potentially because all NSAIDs work in the same way on the inflammatory pathway. Yeah. Yeah. Because when my GP
0: prescribed it to me, um, she... Explained that it was for arthritis, but that she was going to give it to me, and it didn't really make any sense. So, to hear somebody else uh, be prescribed with it, yeah,
1: okay, that okay. makes a more sense in my head because I've never heard anyone else be
0: prescribed it before.
1: I thought that maybe right. she was right. Yeah. So, I've actually never heard it being prescribed for arthritis, but when you understand the way that NSAIDs work, so NSAIDs standing for non-steroidal anti inflammatory drugs that all, even though they get targeted for different things such as period pain, arthritis, headaches or whatever, they're actually all just doing the exact same thing. So you've got this inflammatory pathway in the body. um, You've got the Cox and Lox inflammatory markers and what it's doing is just switching off those inflammatory markers. So no matter where the inflammation is in the body, it's just switching it off. There you go. That's how it works. Yeah. Okay. Um, And obviously reducing those prostaglandins as well, which, you know, we know so commonly are associated with that really high pain in, um, in, in, in endometriosis. So,
0: yeah. So prescribed with that. And then,
1: yeah. So I was finding that it wasn't hugely effective, particularly if, the pain hit. Uh, It wouldn't do anything if I used it at the time. You really had to use it in the lead up to the pain, but sometimes you wouldn't know when the pain was going to hit. So I just kept going back. They just kept saying, you got to persist. You got to do this. And then it was, okay, well, we'll put you on the pill then. And, you know, when you're a young teenage girl, who's not even sexually active yet, like, you know, that's a bit of a thing. And anyway, so I did go on the pill that stuffed my hormones up. Quite quickly. Do you remember which one they put you on? Um, I, I'm trying to think. It might have been, I think initially it might have been Diane or Levlin or something like that. Hmm. And then later, because it made me gain weight really quickly, I Same. got become, oh, really moody. Like the, the mood swings and the emotions were just awful. And so then I found out about Yaz and that's one that has the increased risk of blood clots I went on that one and that definitely helped in terms of the side effects but still what I know about now I don't wish any teenage girl to be on the pill we can talk about that later Mm -hmm. (laughs) so anyway kind of dabbled in different things and realistically you know the only thing like I could do was just, yeah, take lots of painkillers and hope for the best. And and again, if I caught, caught it in time or use things preventatively, it, it may have helped. But then there were other times where I got caught out. And I remember one time when my mum just caught called an ambulance. She was, she used to be a nurse. She's worked in healthcare for a long time and she always knew, you know, this isn't right. And one day I was just, I still have these vivid memories I must have been 17 or 18 and I was just on my hands and knees in the hallway crawling to the bath bathroom screaming in agony and mum was like I don't know what else to do do you want me to call the ambulance and I said yes yes like screaming because I was like this is just I don't know like this pain is so bad someone take it away because I'm going to die here like that's how it feels And of course, you know, when medical emergencies are triaged, that's not really considered a priority. And by the time the ambulance got there, the pain had actually started to subside. So and, you know, since then, I've had two trips to the hospital uh, in my later 20s with severe dysmenorrhea as well. So, you know, that was that's just been my life you know, Mm -hmm. and that's the same life for a lot of people with endometriosis. And so it wasn't until I was 21 that mum said enough is enough. You need to get this investigated. And because I'd gone back to the doctor multiple times and no one had ever mentioned endometriosis. And it was mum who said maybe it is endometriosis because she had managed theatres before and she had been involved in surgeries for endometriosis before. And she knew what it looked like. She knew a bit about it. So I went to the doctor and I demanded, I want to see a gynecologist. And of course I'm 30 now. I know a lot more than I did back then. And I just thought, okay, go see any old gyno. They should all know about endo. And of course they do all know about endo, but are they advanced in endo? And anyway, initially already, I was met with resistance from my GP about even doing that. He, he just thought, no, and he, his. Exact words, I'll never forget it. And unfortunately, this isn't uncommon for us endo girls, uh, sorry, endo people, I should say, is, yeah, but you're a woman. You do get period period pain. I'll never forget those words. And by the end of that, yes, we do need a psychologist because we've been so screwed over. Like, you know, that's when it's going to send you crazy. And it's that constant flattening of your feelings and what you're trying to explain it's that constant ignoring what you're going through and even say when you do go to the emergency department with pain as soon as it's established that oh it's just period pain it's like hang on I'm in more pain than that person next to me who's being treated more seriously for something else or a cut on their hand
0: or you know like something that is yeah not that is not as painful necessarily as what as what we're going through yeah absolutely no, I do agree yeah. so you in your you're in your early 20s yes. and your mum has suggested that it might be endometriosis
1: yep so I went to the doctor with some hesitancy he finally wrote me a referral to a gynecologist I went to the gynecologist and she was also very hesitant. And this was, you know, upon reflection, I was in my hometown of 24,000 people population, not the best hospital or specialist available, you know, all of that kind of rigmarole. And she just shut me down as well. And she didn't really want to, like, she thinks she was like, oh, I don't think that's what it is. And I'm thinking, well, what is endo then if it's not bad Like <laughs> And anyway, so she reluctantly said, fine, we'll do a laparoscopy. But she was also like, even if you do have endo, we have to burn it off. And of course, you know, that's with ablation. And we all know, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir that we all know now that ablation isn't the best type of surgery. And she was like, you know, if we do do ablation, it could affect your fertility, which is true. Uh, but I just said, I don't care. I want someone to go in and have a look. So I had, you know, coincidentally in the same year, I had a knee reconstruction and then I'm going in for a laparoscopy as well, oh, literally wow. a month, a month aside each Your other Your poor body. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I've got so many scars on my body. Uh, so we did that and, you know, wake up from surgery and they say, good news. No endo found. But we've dilated the OS, which sometimes can help with um, period pain. On one hand, it's like, oh, great, you know, nothing found. But on the other hand, it's like, why? Like, why then do I still have this pain? And also the procedure of dilating the OS didn't help my pain whatsoever either. So anyway, that sent me down the wrong pathway for many years because I was like, well, I don't have endo, but I'm just one of these people, these freaks who just have really bad pain and I don't know why. And it wasn't until I started my Bachelor of Health Science in naturopathy that I thought, okay, this is going to give me answers. There must be something I'm missing as to why I get really bad period pain because it's not endo, you know. And I kept, as I was going through my degree, it was four years full time. And every time we touched on reproductive medicine, it was if you've got bad period, period pain, you need to be investigated for endometriosis. Like it was just every time. And I thought maybe it was missed. And so, you know, even then I spoke to a really good reproductive naturopath and even she was like, oh, you know, it's pretty visual visually obvious. They would have, wouldn't have missed it. So that still made me doubt myself. But then I started doing a bit of research and finding that actually it can go missed if the surgeon wasn't highly trained in endometriosis. And now we understand that there are different colored lesions. It can be hidden behind certain structures and all those kind of things. And so it literally wasn't till two years ago that I finally uh, got invest, investigated. Wow, I can speak today. Investigated <laughs> again. <laughs> and... And that's when it was finally confirmed. So I found uh, found out about an endo specialist, Dr. Russell Dalton, who is in regional Victoria. And just one trip to his office, he is highly skilled in transvaginal ultrasound. And of course, I'll caveat that we all know ultrasound isn't the be or end all to find endo. And in many cases, it, it doesn't pick it up. But there are some lesions that can be picked up to a very highly trained eye. And in my case, that was the case. And so this appointment to Russell, with literally within the first 10 minutes, he's like, all right, get up on the bed, we'll have a quick look. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, I can see some endo there on the uterosacral ligaments. Can you see that, see that there? And I was just shocked after 17 years of having periods that just like that someone finally validated me and I just felt so overwhelmed like I feel overwhelmed just repeating it right now and you know so like my heart was racing with happiness and excitement and then we got off the bed sat down he's like all right so we'll book in your surgery for January and it was just like let's get this done you know finally and I just started crying and I was just like oh my god like this is the first time anyone's actually finally told me I've got endo all these years of being ignored and told this and that. And yeah, it was so, so amazing.
0: Would you say that that is what, because you were already down the naturopath path, is that yep. your and your own experience, the reason why you went on to specialize in helping people with endo?
1: Absolutely. So I've been practicing for two years by that point And I already saw a lot of endo anyway and there was always a part of me that wanted to specialise in endo, but then my other, that uh, imposter syndrome was like, oh, but you haven't got a diagnose yet so you don't have a right to da-da-da, you know. Uh, and then anyway, when I finally got that confirmation, I was like, right, that is it. This is my pathway. This is what I need to specialise in because I want other women or other people I should say to fast track that the time that I had to go through to get that diagnosis so it was pretty much that afternoon that it started I just got on Instagram and I was like look finally have this diagnosed and then it just everything just naturally unraveled from there and ever since I've just been a bit of an endo crusader <laughs>
0: The stuff you share online and on your Instagram is so helpful. What exactly are your qualifications?
1: I'd just say probably Bachelor of Health Science yeah, in Naturopathy, okay. but accredited
0: naturopath, yeah. But I mean, that's quite a lot of work. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How long did you study for? So four years full time. Yeah, see, that is a lot yeah. of work. How long have you been a naturopath and specializing in endo four now?
1: Yeah. So I've been a naturopath now for, I think it's four years. You lose count after a while and specializing in endo. I'm just trying to think would be, it would be about two years, I think. Cause I'm just trying to remember, cause I feel like my whole pregnancy and beyond is a whole blur, but that was a whole year in itself. And then before that, uh, it was about a year before that, that I was diagnosed. So yeah, probably a couple of years, but again, I was seeing a lot of endo people even Mm. before that so but once I got it myself because I if anything I was just researching for myself and then that was just helping me become a better practitioner for everyone else. Yeah wow
0: and so taking all of that kind of over the years your experience your training your qualifications what would you say are some of the kind of main basic points that You've learned about endometriosis and the role Mm. that natural—how do you say it? Naturopathy. (laughs) Naturopathy. There you
1: go. I've only ever written it. I've actually never said naturopathy before. (laughs) Um, Everyone's the
0: same. (laughs) I think I'm going to get there by the end of this. I'll get there. Um, But yeah, Yeah. what is it that you say? Would you say that is the most important things that you've learned about the role of naturopathy? Um, in treating endometriosis,
1: yeah. So I've boiled it down to four main categories that I always tell people. So there's one is reducing inflammation. Two is modulating the immune system. Three is correcting gut health, and four is um, detoxification pathways and reducing toxicity. So just to re to expand on those a little bit. So obviously. It's an inflammatory disease. It's not a hormonal disease. Of course, hormones will like estrogen exacerbates it, but it's not a hormonal disease. So reducing inflammation, reducing those inflammatory markers. And then, um, and none of these are in any particular order. We do it all together. So then modulating the immune system, because it is, uh, it's still up for debate, whether it's an autoimmune disease there are some aspects where it does kind of work like an autoimmune disease, but then there are other aspects where it doesn't. But what we do definitely know is that people with endometriosis, I think it's around 80 to 90% Forgive me, it's been a while since I've looked at the research on this, but around 80 to 90% of people with endo have a comorbidity with another autoimmune disease. So such as Hashimoto's, thyroiditis, celiac disease, rheumatoid arthritis, they're all autoimmune diseases. And so is there some sort of interaction there that is causing a faulty immune system? But the thing with endometriosis is what they have identified is that there is a disturbance with the natural killer cells that are they're not stopping these lesions from growing in the body. So these natural killer cells should usually be recognizing these at um, this endometrial tissue and lesions as foreign bodies and engulf those and get rid of them. So it should be like that. You don't belong here. We should get rid of you before you grow. However, because there's this faulty, there's this disturbance in the immune system, it's actually allowing those um lesions to grow. So it's that faulty immune function that I'm really interested in naturopathically, and we can do a lot there. I'm sure we'll talk about those aspects too on what we do for these things. So the other big, big one is gut health. And to be honest, to be honest with you, if there was one thing one of these topics that I had to choose that I would correct it is gut health because we definitely know that people with endometriosis have a much higher presence of let's just say dysbiotic bacteria found in the pelvic cavity so in particular they're what we call gram negative bacteria so where do they come from usually a dysbiotic gut So when we talk about bad gut health and bacterial overgrowth, it's and then what people call leaky gut syndrome or what we like to refer to as intestinal hyperpermeability, meaning that the gaps that line your gut wall, they become loose and leaky. So I like to explain to people, look at your fingers tightly like packed together like that right and there's those gaps in between your fingers so when they're nice and tight together that's how those little gap junctions on your gut lining should be so that it only allows tiny micro particles to be absorbed so your nutrients and your things that you need from your food and so on what happens with gut inflammation is the gaps become leaky so they open up right and then suddenly um Larger particles, undigested proteins, toxins and bacteria are allowed to travel across through those gaps into the bloodstream and work their way around other parts of the body, one being the pelvic microbiome. So that's what we call translocation of bacteria so these gram negative bacteria will make their way to the pelvic microbiome and wreak havoc because what these bacteria do is they have a really toxic substance found in their cell wall called lipopolysaccharides or what we call lps so lps is highly toxic and when the the cell wall breaks down in these bacteria and you know these bacteria turning over all the time that is highly inflammatory and has been found to be correlated with um with people with endo so what that's sorry go
0: no so when we talk about endo belly um, and yeah. you know that is or could potentially be one reason for that happening yeah
1: and I know we want to talk about SIBO this there is this direct connection this is where this is coming from so SIBO is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and so more often than not most of my clients with endo do have SIBO Um, this is something I also discovered I had a few years ago (laughs) so you've got a few different types of SIBO but the two most common actual types of SIBO when we're not talking all, because SIBO is bacterial. You've also got CFO, which is fungal. Um, so, you know, there's other aspects. But when you're talking about the actual bacterial, your two most common are methane-dominant and hydrogen-dominant. So methane-dominant is the one associated with constipation and hydrogen-dominant is usually diarrhoea. Some people have a mix of the two and usually you would have a bit of methane growth as well if you have a mix for me, I did always have very slow bowel movements, slow transit, and was very prone to constipation and a lot of bloating, that IBS presentation. My I'm whole exactly, life, will, yeah.
0: I'm exactly you know, saying yeah. I can go sometimes days mm-hmm. without going, mm-hmm. and then I'll be like mm-hmm. clockwork for a month, and then something mm-hmm. will set me mm-hmm. off. And it might be something that I eat all the time, but for some reason, it you know and also something else that I realized that I've had for years now is restless leg syndrome um yeah. which is another symptom of SIBO I've been doing honestly yeah. much research into this I very, I, have, yeah. um but yeah. I yeah quite often of an evening if I'm sitting or um lying down even when I get into bed I feel this just like urge, like I have to move my feet and my legs because Mm -hmm. otherwise it just feels Mm -hmm. uncomfortable. Um, Mm -hmm. My mum and like partners before have got really annoyed by it because they're like, I've never met anyone that moves their feet or their legs as much as you. And I'm like, I can't help it. It's just... Yeah, it's just what I do. Otherwise, I just feel so uncomfortable. So that's another yeah symptom that I recently found out that you should be looking out for, as well as you know constipation or diarrhoea. But
1: yeah, absolutely. No, that is a big one for sure. And again, I've, I see clients with restless leg syndrome with mm. SIBO. So, yeah, as exactly like you've pointed out, there's a huge correlation between um, SIBO and endometriosis. And it's no surprises given that around that same percentage of people with endo have IBS. And it is around 80% of people with IBS who have SIBO. So, you know, it's all connected, right? Um, And it's no surprises because we know just about everything stems from the gut these days. And it is it's all to do with the the dysbiosis and that leaky gut wall. So that permeability, allowing things to go into the bloodstream that shouldn't be there, and then going and wreaking havoc in different parts of the body.
0: Do you think that what we eat as endo people has a massive effect on the rate that our endo grows back for example or our endo belly because i know that you know some people have to give up gluten some people have to give up dairy some people have endometriosis and they're celiac so the Mm, mm. you know gluten intolerant is they can't cut that out because they just can't have it anyway do you think Mm. that at some point we're going to find an endo diet that is going to be something that can you know not stop but definitely slow the rate of regrowth and is there something out there at the moment that you think all endo warriors should be doing and following in terms of what we eat and what we put into our body and the toxins that we are exposed to because i also only very recently found out that even in our cleaning products there are things that can encourage the growth of estrogen which yeah as we know, is something that can also affect you if you have endometriosis. So there's so mm-hmm. many things out there. Do you think mm-hmm. there's going to be a one size fits all, or or do you think that it is something that's always going to have to be tailored to the person?
1: Yeah, I reckon you already know the answer to that. <laughs> it is. It's always so different, and it's such a multifaceted question, and so many different answers for this because. While yes, I see some people get significant improvements from diet alone, then I'll see another client in the same day who won't. Yes.
0: So it's
1: it's obviously it's all the same disease, but it doesn't mean that it's all just driven by the one thing. Like at the end of the day, if it if it's inflammatory, there are so many facets that can make inflammation worse. Yeah, so obviously, you know, repair the gut, of course. Um, but if you have celiac disease and then say you're having gluten particles gluten proteins in your diet then that's going to drive up inflammation and make your endo worse right so it's it's unpacking again and this is why I just love my profession because that's what we're all about Where you know we holistically assess what's going on we don't just try and fit you into a mold but you know people do always ask me though what is the best diet for endo and of course there are definitely some some mainstays that everyone needs to follow and there are there are still debates with some of these aspects but the things that I see get the best improvements unfortunately are the dairy and and wheat and I say wheat rather than gluten because it for some people it's the gluten but then for some people it's other aspects in the wheat as well which kind of falls into the category of fodmaps too um but yeah usually the dairy because of the um, inflammatory a1 casein protein um, and then you know also gluten because quite often if you do have intestinal permeability what gluten does is it actually increases this um, release of zonulin and zonulin actually Um, causes the wall that wall to become permeable as well so they're the top two soy is up for debate quite regularly that's (laughs) what i was gonna ask you because yeah do
0: cook with soy quite a lot Mm. and generally Mm. tend to find even if it's gluten-free soy that um yeah I'm a little bit bloated afterwards yeah um yeah but I'm just not I mean I've had to give up cheese man I can't yeah, <laughs> cheese yeah, yeah. and bread and that's, <laughs> sometimes I'm that's, just like if it's not yeah. causing me pain I can yeah. deal with a belly yeah, yeah. But I'm I only asked that question about the diet just because um mm-hmm. there's so many different you know things out there that people can read and have access to and you know knowledge Mm. is literally on our screens if we know how to access it properly um and I guess on that kind of topic um what do you know about the kind of current evidence-based and we say evidence-based because we love evidence-based research um into endometriosis and the role that naturopathy, naturopathy pays in, nice. pays in uh, yeah. <laughs> plays in yeah plays in in kind of easing these symptoms. So obviously yeah. you've talked about stopping the or fixing the leaky gut, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, what else? Um, you know,
1: based on the evidence, do you do? Yeah, and I just want to quickly add a bit more just to the dietary bit before we move oh, okay. on. Yeah. We all, I I just really want people to know that I'm also not perfect. You know, I also like many, many times would have some cheese or <laughs> have some bread and, and paper as well. So I just want everyone to know that because so many people will come to me and feel really guilty if they broke it and then they won't tell me because they'll be like, oh, she's going to kill me, you know. Um, and I just want everyone to know that. Um, but, and then also just just touching on the soy as well, the thing I wanted to add there is even though there are some benefits to the phytoestrogens found in soy, it's also can affect the thyroid negatively. And quite often people with endo have thyroid issues. So I just wanted to add that in there in case people wondering, what is it about soy that's an issue potentially? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, Thank you. Yeah. um, I do think that there is some room for maybe like some edamame and things like that here and there, but again, it's a bit up for debate anyway, moving on. So Yeah, there actually is quite a few. So the thing with naturopathy for endo, it's like what aspects are you looking at? Because as a whole, like no one studied naturopathy as a whole for endo. It's about the different supplements and nutrients, dietary approaches, some herbs, you know, things like that. There are a few top things that have been studied for endometriosis. And the the study, like the cohort sizes still aren't significant because, you know, research costs a lot of money. Um, you know, you've got to get a lot of subjects and doing double, you know, randomised placebo control trials, it's hard. But we do have some studies that are leaning towards certain things. Um, yeah, so you've got a couple of top ones. And to be honest, this list I could keep going, but um and acetylcysteine or NAC is a common one that we often talk about again the study size isn't you know the one yes
0: yeah, so yeah. I am on uh, p2 detox with added yeah. NAC in it they've added NAC in
1: beautiful. it for me so yeah, yeah heard of that one awesome yeah, awesome, and that's what we call a compound. So if you have a formula that has a few different um, powders in it, we call that a compound. So, and for the listeners, P2 detox is a very is by MediHerb. It's a very common um, powder that we would often recommend because it has curcumin, bro- broccoli sprouts, and a few other um, cofactors that help with um, converting phase one and phase two liver detoxification to to clear out excess estrogens because our liver is responsible for metabolizing our hormones and if it's not functioning correctly then that's going to get backed up and it's going to you know exacerbate your symptoms i could talk about that on a for a whole podcast in itself um, and that falls into remember how i was saying i've got my four top categories for helping yeah. endo and one of those is detoxification um, anyway so n acetylcysteine what that does um so In the research, I think it was a 2013 study where, and again, it was a small sample size, but there was promise. And what it showed was that it, so it was looking at endometrial cysts. So those people with endometrial cysts were, took the N-acetylcysteine for three months and they found a significant reduction in pain. The, um, those who that were in the study, many of them canceled their surgery because they felt they didn't need it anymore. They found that there were um, reduced cyst size and amount of cysts that grew back. Um, So, you know, that absolutely does show promise. And, you know, we can extrapolate data from other studies as well, that to theoretically apply to endo. So for example, NAC is also um, used for reducing inflammation it's used to support our liver health because it's a precursor to glutathione and glutathione is the liver's most potent antioxidant and glutathione um, we also use infertility and supporting IVF as well so it helps to protect the DNA in an egg um, and same with you know sperm health as well so it's a um, potent antioxidant and i hate you know people overuse the word antioxidant for marketing purposes but in the um you know from an actual chemistry perspective antioxidants are actually so potent for helping to protect um you know dna in the body and reduce inflammation and um, prevent aging basically so nac has a, a really strong role to play the other thing that is amazing that NAC is it's also been highly studied for mental health. So depression and anxiety, addiction. Um, back in my early days in autopathy, I was really passionate about addiction and mental health. And well, obviously, obviously I still am. And um, yeah, there's some really good studies looking at NAC for those kinds of traits as well. So NAC is such an amazing thing that you can use. It's Got very low side effects. It's really safe to use, and and really effective. So that's a really good one. Um- Another one, which I'm sure a lot of people would have heard of is curcumin or, you know, the active constituent of turmeric and reason being, because we know it's a really potent anti-inflammatory. So it, you know, it down reg- regulates those inflammatory markers and oxidative stress again. So reducing that, the prostaglandins and again, prostaglandins is one of those inflammatory markers that um, drives up the period pain right um so the issue though with curcumin is are you getting a bioavailable source you know there are so many turmeric capsules available these days is it a good one because i do get so many people say to me i was taking turmeric hasn't really done anything and i'm like okay which one is it and it's one that they just got off the shelf easily available the dosage isn't right The delivery mechanism isn't very good. So what we really want is something that is what we call either liposomal or phytosomal. So it's like the curcumin is actually wrapped up in these, um, like a lipid bilayer that helps it to get delivered across the gut wall and actually be effective.
0: And can you you find those in the chemist if you know what to look for? Is there like a a brand that you know that people um could you know buy use Mm. that is trustworthy because it's like that with all supplements right with Mm. fish oil with vit d with zinc Mm. with anything that Mm -hmm. you might be taking you have to be so careful where and you're buying it from and what else is in it
1: Yeah. so i always feel really conflicted on my answer here because on one hand um you know, the the best of the best is always only ever prescription available, uh, sorry, practitioner only usually, but there are actually some companies that you can get on like iHerb or, you know, online somewhere that are just as good, but I'm always conflicted in advising that because if it's not coming along with professional guidance, you might do it wrong, right? With that said that, like I'm also conflicted because I know that not everyone can afford to see a naturopath either. And I want everyone to be able to access this information. I want people who can't afford to see a naturopath to still be able to access good quality care or good quality products. So I feel really conflicted with the answers that I give on the I'm sorry, Monday. that wasn't my intention. No, no, no. It's, I want you to ask me these questions because I want to be able to provide that answer. But um, yeah, with the curcumin, if we were to talk about brands, so again, like the brands that I prescribe are practitioner only. Um, however, um, if you can't see an naturopath and you wanted to try some, um, I would be looking at, so if you were to go to a pharmacy in, um, in Australia, sometimes you can get bioceuticals at some, some pharmacies. I don't use bioceuticals because there's even better ones, but they, bioceuticals is still a really good reputable natural health company. Um, that you know does research on their products, they use research forms. So you know that's one that I would say is fairly readily available. Um, also, if you go to some like good quality health food stores, quite often there are naturopaths and nutritionists working in them and they will have tried the products, they will have been educated on the products. So if you're speaking to a qualified practitioner within a health food store, you're usually gonna they usually should recommend a good one. Um so yeah I know that's not a, an amazing answer but if yeah usually you can find the other one on um iherb if people are going to go on to say iherb because there are some really good quality products on iherb you're usually looking at thorn um the the brand called thorn they're a really really good company and I think there's another one might be doctor's best they're really quite good Spectrum Spectrumceuticals. I can't remember if any of these even have curcumin, but they are just really good brands yeah. to look for that you can get. So,
0: yeah, awesome. Thank Hopefully you. that
1: helps. No, it yeah. does definitely.
0: <laughs> Sorry to interrupt your list that you were doing as well, but I was just thinking, no, is there, okay. you know, is there a yeah. a brand that people could, could mm-hmm. be looking out for? And it turns out there
1: is. What I will say is this as well, is maybe not even the brand we should be talking about is the delivery mechanism so it's is it liposomal or phytosomal so so that's the 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 delivery so the the curcumin is it wrapped up in a liposomal layer or um or a phytosomal layer so that it gets delivered across the gut wall so look for that the other thing there are certain types of researched forms of turmeric so for example you've got bcm 95 um, there's another one called i think it's mariva um so those or are they the same one i'm just trying to remember it's been again it's been a while because i'm on maternity you leave are, like. i was just
0: going to remind everyone that you are on maternity leave and you are also you know mother to beautiful twins so <laughs> trying to remember all this stuff after some time off and with, you know, probably multiple things going on in your head. I am
1: super impressed. I couldn't remember honest, all this stuff. And I don't have twins, so <laughs> I'm actually surprised with myself that I've remembered this. I'm like, I was actually a bit freaking out because I was like, oh my God, like my head hasn't been in the books for months now. Like, but it is all coming back to me, which is good. Um, But yes. So again, so BCM 95, Mariva, they are two types or it may even be the same type. I'm trying to remember now um, that have been clinically trialed to show that they are just as effective as using an NSAID for inflammation and pain um, at the right dose. So yeah, so that you know, maybe not so much looking at the brands, looking at that um, that type oh, might yeah. help How we're we gonna how we're yeah. we gonna get them?
0: Um, yeah. So that was for how do you say that one? Curcumin.
1: Curcumin. Yep. Curcumin. curcumin. So I'm we've learned naturopathy and curcumin. I'm on. A, on yeah. A run. <laughs> okay. How about we try and learn the next one? Okay. Um So PEA or parmethol Have you heard of that one before? <laughs>
0: I've heard of a green pea. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, um, so yeah, p- say it one more time. So palm, so like palm tree. Palm, ital, ital, ital palm ital, palm ital, leaf, leaf, like palm lethal leaf, leaf, leaf. palm leaf, and nolamide.
0: Palm and nolamide. You
1: got it. Nailed it. There we go, yes. guys. We've
0: just had a. Uh- <laughs> how to with Jane yeah. on how to say all of these words well not all of them just one of them but we can break down some more maybe at the end
1: um okay so yeah. P, P for short yes exactly that that's really all all people need to say so I love this one um so it's it's quite a new kid on the block it's it has been around for a while but it's really just coming to attend you know there's more attention around it with it's the way that it works on pain and of course like a lot of things um, initially when it came out just the general PA it was working for some people not for others or it was taking a really long time to show any benefits but now there's been newer subcategories so the one in particular that is more effective is what's called ultra micronized PEA Um, and again it's just about that delivery mechanism on how it gets in the body and I have started using this one and it's significantly more effective than the PEA that we were using before and there is actually research on PEA coming out in pilot studies um, on its use with endometriosis um, pelvic pain and it absolutely does help so it actually works in a similar way to CBD oil um, and not exactly the same, but it does kind of work on those cannabinoid receptors. And it really does in particular help with nerve pain. And what we find with this ultra micronized PA is that it um, it can work in a similar way to taking yin, yin NSAIDs, yeah, anti-inflammatory drugs. Um, and of course, again, without the as many side effects and it's not going to be as abrasive on the gut as NSAIDs and things like that. So um, PA is such an awesome new kid on the block. I love it. And I love that we've got access to it as well. Um, so it is expensive, but what I do say is it's not as expensive as CBD oil. Um, so you what's know, the rough cost of, of
0: ultra. Um, P. I think it's really good for people to get a rough idea of how much, all Absolutely, cost Because, you know, yep. a naturopath appointment can range from $100 to $250. Mm-hmm. And then what they prescribe you can range from 50 bucks to 350 bucks. And so I think a lot of the times I know that personally, when I did see my naturopath, it was more of what is the most important thing that you can give me. And then mm-hmm. maybe We'll see how those go. And when I see you again in two months, if I'm in a bit of a better position, then we can try the other things as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a reason why I'm asking finances, because you know, these things I agree. Access to these is expensive.
1: A hundred percent. And that's something that I talk about a lot as well, because it's all well and good saying, oh, you need to see an naturopath and there's all these things, but it's just not accessible to everyone. Um, and it is about that hierarchy of efficacy like which one should we go to first of all and see if that works and sometimes as well like there are clients I have depending on the severity of their endo that will be on 10 different things because there's so much going on um and you know we need to figure out what is most important thing or you know but there are some clients i have who are happy to do that and they're like i just want to do whatever i can and then there are some people that just want one or two things so we just have to figure out what's best but i'm just looking at the pa that i use but by designs for health um so designs for health in particular has um this particular type of pa called palmadrol um and that's been um Um, has has some really good clinical research on it Um, so that one is $49.95 for 60 capsules
0: well that's very manageable isn't it (laughs) yeah
1: and so the dosage is two capsules once or twice daily and because it is you can use it both acutely and chronically and acutely being on the day when the pain happens chronically being long term Um, you know I usually say to my patients okay, I would like you to take two capsules daily every day for the next few months, but if the pain hits, you could have two capsules two to three times in the one day just to really dose it, dose up on it. And is that
0: something that we would be able to buy without seeing a naturopath, or is that one of those things that has to be prescribed?
1: This particular one is strictly practitioner-only. However, there are some POs you can get online, um, so... It, again, it's the form, and so I see lots of people say, "Oh, I tried PA and it didn't really do much for me." Then other people say, "Oh, it helped so much." Um, and again, it can be whether it is right for you or whether it's the right time. And so, like I said, this is the Droll from what's called Le- Levergen. I'm just looking at it now Levergen Plus, which was the the research type of PA. Um, so I don't know whether you can get that one in any other brands. I mean, my head's usually only researching the practitioner grade ones. Of course. Um, so, yeah, so that's um, one. And, and, you know, I always say if any of my clients are listening to this and um, I haven't prescribed this to them before and they would like me to prescribe it, just send me a message and I'll prescribe it for you if you're one of my clients already.
0: <laughs> I was literally just going to say to you as a naturopath, how would you feel? Or how do you feel when people come to you with research that they've done themselves, saying, mm-hmm. "I want to try this," or, you know, mm-hmm. "I heard on a podcast that, um, yeah, this other naturopath prescribes this. Like, why haven't you prescribed me that?
1: Do you yeah, think
0: a good one. that's something that you know you're comfortable with, and that all naturopaths should be comfortable with, or,
1: yeah, what are your feelings on that? Is it annoying? Oh, I like- <laughs> no. Oh, look, okay. It depends. So we can break this down a little bit. Um, I'm always, I love that. If, if, you know, my clients are doing research and they come to me with solid research, like proper placebo control trials, or even something that shows promise. I'm open to it. Most of the time, if it's endo or gut related, I will have already heard of it. And I'll be like, yeah, absolutely. I agree. Let's do that. Um, And they might wonder why haven't you given this to me already? And usually there's a reason for that. It's like, well, actually you're already on 10 other things. I didn't want to add another thing in. And I know that the other things we're doing are also going to have a benefit. And that's another really good point. There are 10 different polyphenols that are really good for endo, but it's, and they all kind of do similar things. You've got curcumin, you've got resveratrol, you've got, um, you know, the green tea, you've got um, all sorts of different antioxidants that can help with endo, but they're all doing similar things. They're all working on the inflammatory pathway. So do I put you on all of them? No, like we want to pick one or two that we know is going to give you the, the best bang for your buck, because maybe it's someone coming to me for pain is their main aspect. So then I would be using curcumin because we know how good it is for pain, but maybe it's um, that they're coming to me actually for fertility reasons as well as that endo. So then I might be like, okay, maybe resveratrol then. So like, you know, it's all about just trying to pick like what's the best thing that is suited for them. And I guess
0: the most important thing to remember is that you're never going to have all of the answers for someone straight away. I think yeah. a lot of the time yeah. people, because of the medical trauma that comes with having endometriosis, a lot of people come into situations like this, almost ready for a fight. Um, yep. they, yeah, definitely. They have been told their whole life, you know, just to shut up um Mm. but also you know we are equipped as endo warriors with a lot of knowledge that we think is right because it's perpetuated Mm. within our circle we hear the same things over and over again but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's true and that's why you know when we spoke before the podcast we both said we want to talk about evidence-based research because Mm. we can't do anything unless we can see that it's you know been working and evidence myself having you know studied statistics at uni and you obviously knowing as much as you know it all comes from seeing things actually working Mm-hmm. And I guess that's another aspect of that, right? If someone's coming to you and saying, oh, somebody from down the road told me that their was prescribed them this and why haven't you done it for me? It's almost like, oh, OK, well, this is why I haven't. And, and also, I mean, do you get your clients to do bloods and test for lots of different things before obviously you start recommending mm-hmm. things?
1: Absolutely. And and just to quickly uh, touch on what you were just saying, there. one of my favorite terms lately is survivorship bias. And a lot of people will have used one thing and say that, oh, that worked for them. So it must work for everyone else. Um, You know, even like multi-level marketing companies, um, dare I say it, things like Juice Plus and stuff like that. You know, they, I've seen people take those products and say, this can help with endo. And it just, really gets under my skin because i agree just because- wholeheartedly oh. i have friends
0: yeah. that have entered into that sphere mm. and mm. constantly bombard me now that they know i have endometriosis with oh this mm. capsule contains 20 different types of fruit oh my vegetables goodness cure your endometriosis and I don't even, you know, grace them with a response anymore because I just can't be told by someone that doesn't have it, that
1: doesn't have it,
0: that it's going to cure it. And that's the thing that gets,
1: yeah, gets me the most. So I do it. It's (laughs) frustrating. Yeah, so that's definitely another can of worms. Um, But, yeah, so blood tests, absolutely. Like there's pretty much not one client I see who I wouldn't want to look at even just routine bloods, like your, your general B12 iron, folate, vitamin D, just yeah. your standard blood workup. And um, even though none of those things are directly like telling me anything about the endo, what they are telling me is um, things that could be, you know, potentially making them feel worse. Vitamin D in particular, it's a potent immune modulator. And so as we know... Endo is an immune dysfunction. So if your vitamin D shit and sorry, I shouldn't, I don't know if I'm no, okay. uh,
0: <laughs> um, to worry about swearing on here.
1: <laughs> good, good. Okay. Um, one of the issues with vitamin D is the reference ranges are completely off. So for example They're happy if your vitamin D is anything over 50, but actually you really want it to be over 100. And particularly with fertility purposes, we know that vitamin D should actually be about 120 for women. It's a little bit different for men, but um, particularly for women should definitely be about 120. And I can tell you right now, that's probably 5% of my clients that are actually over 100
0: yeah, my um, vitamin D wasn't over 100 when I was tested for it. I had to go to my GP to get the results right back to me. And she was like, yeah, you're, everything is fine. Everything is um, normal. And then my naturopath was like, mm, you probably need to take a vitamin D supplement. You also are a little bit low in B12. I don't know why she hasn't brought that up. So you probably need to, you know, take some B12. So it is very interesting in what GPs will say is normal and obviously what you guys think is normal and
1: you know and i i just want to defend gps though because like you know sometimes it comes across as if like i'm a doctor basher or something but i absolutely am not um obviously yes there are those that uh, dismiss us and ignore us and treat us really poorly 100 percent um but then there are also some gps that are just seriously they're just working within what they were taught and they don't know any different and they don't they don't have the time to be across absolutely everything just as I don't have the time to be across everything either but um so I do defend them a little bit but yeah it the reference ranges really need to change for vitamin D, especially because autoimmune diseases are quite prevalent and uh, vitamin D has a huge role to play with Mm. autoimmune diseases or any kind of immune dysfunction. Um, So, yeah, they would be my common blood tests. But then we also have what we call functional testing, and that's kind of your more... um, your bigger tests everything from you know gut microbiome testing to what's called a dutch test which stands for dried urinary comprehensive test for uh, sorry dried urinary test for comprehensive hormones that's probably my number one favorite test that I do with a lot of my endo people and the reason why is because as the name suggests it's very comprehensively looking at your hormones it's actually through the urine that it's looking at the breakdown or byproducts of the hormones um, that are happening within your body. And The thing that I love the most about this test is it looks at your different um, oestrogen detoxification pathways. So you know how we're talking about before, obviously the liver is really important for that. And there are actually three pathways that oestrogen can go down in the liver. And there are two that we don't want it favoring. And there is one that we want it to go down and pretty much always anyone with endo I see it's going down those two unfavorable pathways so you've got two hydroxy which is the good one we've got four hydroxy and 16 hydroxy which are the ones you don't want the 16 hydroxy is actually associated with and uh with estrogen driven cancers um and then four hydroxy as well but in particular your real um Estrogenic presentations um, where proliferation is occurring, where you've got heavy periods, really sore boobs all the time with your period, you know, things like that. Um, and the good news about that, though, is we actually have, again, supplements and herbs that help to push it back down the 2-hydroxy pathway. Um, so even curcumin and NAC can help with the liver detoxification, but um, one um, compound in particular is called Dim for short, or diindo-methane It's actually an active Not constituent. Not going to attempt that one. <laughs> <You can carry laughs> it's on. An active... lesson on that one. <laughs> that's all right. All together now. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's um, it's a, actually an active constituent found in the cruciferous vegetables, in particular broccoli sprouts, and that's why P two detox has the bro- broccoli sprouts. And actually. Um, we should really add broccoli sprouts as a really key um, either food, but you can't, it's not something you can find very commonly. You can make them yourself, um, but really good to get in a powder form um, because it's really high in these sulfur compounds. Um, one being dim, also, you know, it's got things like your sulfurophane, um, your indole 3 carbonyl. There are all these things that um, are really potent at supporting liver de- detoxification and reducing inflammation. So it's one that we love for endo, <clears throat> for that reason.
0: So what you're saying is, is snack on broccoli stalks,
1: <laughs> not even stalks. Well, yes, broccoli stalks will help, but the sprouts, yeah. Okay. And the reason, and the, and it's really like basic um it's really straightforward if you think about why sprouts over eating broccoli because for every sprout (coughs) for every broccoli sprout is the same amount of sulfurophane that you're going to get in one whole broccoli floret so by having um all you know having a hundred sprouts in one sitting you're going to get such a highly dense concentration of that um, those sulfur compounds does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So that's why it's so um, potent. You know, they're not the best tasting thing in the world, but they are incredible. And the brand that I do recommend is EnduraCell. Um, Endura Cell. have a really, really good range of um, high sulfurophane-containing broccoli sprout powders, and I'm pretty sure you can get those online, but yeah, I can okay. prescribe them for people as well.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Um, I feel like I'm learning so much my brain is (laughs)
1: just like
0: but it's all stuff that I've heard of but I just Mm. don't know the kind of science behind it what is the yeah yeah, the why the the reasoning for you know Mm. adding these you know things into my diet or making sure I'm getting more of one thing or less of the other
1: um and this is why sorry to write in there for a sec but This is why I get so infuriated when people, well, not so much as more, but as much as I used to, but I would get really infuriated when people would say, oh, there's no evidence for naturopathy. And it's like, what aspect of naturopathy do you mean? Because all these products here that I'm using have research behind them. And it's about the way that you apply that research to the condition that you're using. And yes, we may not have lots and lots of um, placebo control trials for broccoli sprouts in endo, but we know how it works in the body and we know how those aspects affect endo. So like that's how we're applying that. Yes, with all of this knowledge, you then wrote the
0: endometriosis Um, e-handbook. How long has that been available for people? Where can they find that? What has it got in it, like a brief... (laughs) <laughs> kind of yeah give, good yeah give me a blurb just because I know that yeah I myself and I think a lot of people do love reading as many things as possible about endo. so it'd be good for people to know where they can find it and access it and kind of what information they can glean from it
1: absolutely and so first of all jadewalker.com.au is where you can get it under the ebooks in the shop um, but It all started, to be honest, it was just started as a handout that I made just for my clients. And then I just slowly was expanding on it. And then I thought, actually, this should be readily available to the public. Anyone can have this. Um, And so that's when I thought, okay, I'll make it look a bit more prettier then and um, add a few extra things in there. And it's really just a really um, easy to read synopsis of the the top things that I use. Um, So dietary um some of the supplements we've talked about today pretty much all of those that we talked about today are in there as well as some other things um different things you can use that can help with your pain so whether that be supplements or actual physical things such as a tens machine or acupuncture um some extra resources um that are helpful for endo uh and then just a little bit about my story and you know it's it's something that you can easily read and dissect in an hour you know it's nothing um, it's not like this extravagant long book or anything it's Encyclopedia. just it's got the information easy to grab um, and exact. it even has dosages in there um, on you know things such as the n-acetylcysteine and curcumin um, that are beneficial so, yeah, it's just, it's something that anyone can just go online and purchase and get some information from.
0: I will put that in the show notes so that people can um, find that and find you. I know awesome. that obviously you are on maternity leave at the moment because you have two yeah. big twins. Um how long might be long? able to hear one of them crying. Yeah, <laughs> I
1: thought I just heard one. How old are you now? <laughs> Yeah, so they are four months this coming Wednesday, um, which is crazy, but because they were born at 33 weeks, they are more like um, two months corrected in in a way. Because you have to alter that, don't you, because when the baby's premature. For some things, yes. For some things, no. Yeah, so they look like very small four-month-olds basically.
0: (laughs) If I was listening um i would want to know when i could get in contact with yeah. you yeah
1: <laughs> well I'll, okay so i'll i'll say this i have started taking a wait list so if people do want to work with me um they can seriously just pm me on instagram and I'll, um if they just let me know um their email what is I will add them to, uh, at jade walker health okay I'll put <laughs> that you. in the show notes um, as well Awesome. So add them to a wait list at the moment. So I've been on maternity leave for about four months now. Um, I still am planning to take another couple of months off. Um, then after that, I'm probably just going to open up to my existing clients to begin with, just to ease myself in. And then I will slowly start taking on new clients and, um, I am going to be more particular with who I work with. So, you know, mainly just really sticking to endo and fertility mm-hmm. so that I can just really stay in that really specific lane because, you know, my, my time will be, um, you know, I will just be part-time. Yeah, yeah, You're that's it exactly why you've got not one but, but two
0: humans to raise. Exactly, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, with what I will say, though, as I think I told you the other day, um, because I do want to be able to help everyone with what I can offer, I am working on an endo course at the moment. So that will be amazing when that's finished. I pretty much have all the information. It's all in the slides. I just need to record the video basically um, and then have that uh, available. And that really goes back to, again, you know, not everyone can access naturopathic care, but if I can make some sort of affordable course that everyone can access, then that way I can really help so many more people so we'll see how we go time wise. I don't
0: use this word lightly but you are an inspiration I've loved listening Aww, to thank you. you um everything that you've had to say and I just find it all so interesting um so thank you so much for coming on and you know giving us the information that you have and yeah as soon as that course is ready I will definitely share that on the podcast for people but hopefully you know people will be already following you from this too Um, so yeah thank you so much jade
1: thank you so much for having me on i hope this can be helpful to others
0: thank you so much for listening to this episode of the endo chats podcast if you'd like to see some more of jade or inquire about working with her you can find her over on at jade walker health on instagram Last week's giveaway is now closed and the winner has been announced. So a big well done to them. As always, if you love the episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or follow us over on Spotify. We are also growing our community over on Facebook and beginning to organise meetups now that the lockdowns are over. So head on over to our weekly discussions. For more resources, you can also visit our website www.theendochatspodcast.com.au We will see you next week and we hope you have a pain-free day.